This is a Broad Pods production. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Hello and welcome to Broad Radio On The Go. I'm Cecilia, the producer, and this is the podcast version of our live show, which is every Tuesday morning between 9 and 10 a.m. You can catch Joe Stanley and a range of amazing co-hosts talking to equally amazing guests. I mean, if I do say so myself... We do have some pretty good conversations on Broad Radio and today is no exception. Starting off with Jo and her co-host Annie Louie talking to Jen Wong. She's been on Broad Radio before and she talks to us about her experience of dealing with depression by swimming with dolphins and whether that was um, feasible or not. But we start off this episode with Annie and Jo just having a little catch up with what's been going on and talking about Annie's latest live show. Hi there. Hey, great to be back. Thank you for having me on again. I am thrilled that you're back because geez, you make me laugh. Oh, we haven't <laughs> even started yet. I haven't said anything funny. Well, we've talked before before now. That's right. Yeah, you, I mean, that would be weird if you didn't. You just ignored me until we're on. I'm like, I'm here, Joe. I was like, save it for on air. <laughs> yeah. Don't even look at me. Yeah. Gee, there's a bit of Ellen energy going on here. Is that what Ellen's like? Yeah, apparently she doesn't like want to be looked in the eyes. Oh, don't. I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> There's a lot of controversy going on. You've got to catch up on this celeb gossip. Oh, man, I'm so behind when it comes to celeb gossip because I just don't believe it and so I just don't read it. Uh, but okay. then also I go, oh, maybe if you don't want to look at someone in the eyes, maybe you're focused on getting ready, you know, and there's a reason. I always I feel think, like yeah, people are doing the their best. best. In people, yeah. <laughs> don't you? I don't know. I'm writing a bit of gossip about you right now. I'm uploading <laughs> it to the internet. <laughs> We're also giving away tickets to your Fringe Festival show. I am so happy that we can give these double passes away and someone can come along for one of the eight nights that I'll be on. Okay, so the way we've been doing this, we're giving away tickets via our subscribers. So if you are lucky enough to be on our subscriber base and you receive our weekly newsletter, you would have received a little thing say, hey, click here and you can enter 
and go in the draw for these amazing double passes. Um, you could always subscribe anytime you like, broadradio.com.au, head along. And we do often do giveaways, actually. So um, we're very grateful that you have provided these no, tickets to not our, at all. To our uh, subscribers. And this is the question that we asked, which I love that this is from the this is from the brilliant mind of beautiful Ro, who runs our marketing and um, she's just a ripper, I'll tell you that for sure. But anyway, this is her question, right? To enter, are you in the habit of flirting with death? Mm. Now, we should explain why that question was there. Yeah, the title of the show is Flirting with Death and it goes through all of my experiences with death and near-death experiences. And so, yeah, this is a great topic. This is a new take on it around whether or not you like to do dicey things, whether you're an adrenaline junkie. And I would say I'm probably more of an adrenaline junkie than most. Like stand-up is very much like that. It's like going into battle, you know, and it could end terribly. And I was talking to another comedian, uh, Ivan Aristogueta, and he said that his therapist told him that only two, like, only two occupations are are similar in this like weird adrenaline crazy way which is boxes and stand-ups like what's wrong with us like are you just going out there just like getting punched in the face <laughs> but we keep doing it that is so true what a great analogy yeah. it's one of the reasons why i stopped stand-up oh, i don't get punched in the face anymore i know call me crazy yeah, yeah. um no i because i'm just not I couldn't handle the anxiety around it. Mm. And in the end, I was like, why am I doing something that actually is torture? Yes. Even though I love the joke telling and I I love the performance. I do a version of when I do keynotes. But, you know, when I do do corporate, you know, all that kind of world, I insist they don't call me a like I'm not oh. doing stand-up yeah, because yeah. I want to surprise them with jokes. Yes, that is very good. <laughs> Set a low bar. <laughs> right. Yeah, I want no expectation of funny. Yeah. So people are like, oh, she's funny. I didn't expect that. Yes, oh, that was, that was great. Yeah. And yeah, also, like my therapist told me that like, oh, but if you didn't do this, your anxiety would be worse. So it produces anxiety, but it also alleviates. So in it's what like way? how does that work? Way, because like if I wasn't doing it, I'd feel like I'd have no purpose in life and the anxiety uh. from that would be much worse. So he's like, keep going. It seems to be good for you. Yeah. Do you have I mean you have to have strategies though to manage that the anxiety around the performance. Yeah, for me it's like falling back on the rational. Like um does it really matter that much if you bomb? And in particular back in the day when a lot of the gigs were unpaid it's like well they didn't even pay a ticket price you know so like they get they get something for absolutely nothing like that's but, right yeah. I mean, how good can it be when that's you're not right. even paying that's right. you get what you pay for <laughs> <laughs> so these were the questions that we had like how are you in the habit of flirting with death we had you know it ranged from i'm straighty 180 flirt with death i would never write to hand me that fork i've got an electrical outlet that needs inspecting <laughs> <laughs> like someone's just gone, yeah, I'm looking death in the face. Uh, I am so risk averse that my, I basically, the joke in my family is that I don't like fun. Oh, you don't like fun? Because I don't That's, do rides, I don't swim, yeah. I don't go underground, I don't yeah. like heights, I don't like speed, I don't like the wind. I don't <laughs> like, like, I just like basically. So going out on a windy day is a very risky thing for you. Oh, I do, do not enjoy that. Mm. But like we will sometimes take as a family, you know, my daughter to a theme park. Yes. And I'm basically the handbag holder. I would not go on a ride if oh. I... 
So you happily watch your child getting thrown around. She loves it though. Yeah, G-forces and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And once I had to take her to the show with just her and me because my husband was working and she was desperate to go and I thought, I'll be a good parent, I'll take her. And so then the whole day I was like, okay, I'll do that ride. (laughs) The teacups. That's it. Totally. I'm ready to hide myself. I went on like literally a kiddie ride and it went up quite high, I thought. And so I was like, you know, white knuckling on this thing. <laughs> and I'm looking around at six-year-olds. They're just going, whoa, this is the best. <laughs> it's not my thing. I mean, you listen to quite a few things that I do relate to as well. Like, I thought you might have been a swimmer. You seem like you might enjoy the beach. But I just stay away from that stuff. I'm like, uh, I'm happy on the land. Yes, the water, yeah. no. Yeah. Because there are sharks there. There are sharks there. Also, like, there's this popular movie on Netflix right now that I came up. It was called No Limit. And it's about free diving and somebody somebody dies. I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm Spoiler good. alert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm very happy. Yeah, I'm a land dweller most yes. definitely. So, okay, so no risking here, although you do, you do get up on stage and mm, we do recommend right. you head along and go and see this show, which is in Melbourne. Are you going to tour it? Uh, it's very untourable. I have a very large set piece oh. that's a... Larger than life coffin, so <laughs> it's hard to take on the road. If someone wants to pay for my petrol fees, like hundred percent, I'll take it anywhere. <laughs> but, but I'm preparing a, a new stand-up show that's very portable next year because I've learnt my lesson now. Okay. I just want to be able to go wherever the jokes live within me. Yes, yeah, yeah. You can't fit a, a large size coffin in an overhead no. locker. No, definitely not. Although we did think about it, but that would be very, very expensive. Mm. And these people were very technical. They also make the sets for the gala, so they're like. Oh. Way wow. too into it, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll put hinges, all this." I'm like, "This is getting out of hand." Like, <laughs> we don't want you to paint it with anything that's smaller than a brush the size of my palm. Like, you know, they'd be like doing the detailing work on it, and we're like, "No, no, no, no!" Yeah, no, no one's gonna that. see that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, so people got to love their work, though. I love that. Now, before we get to our next guest, I need to ask. Because I've been on your Instagram as well. Mm. Do you roller skate in your show? No, no roller skating in my show, unfortunately. I, mean, I could find a way. Maybe at the end I could. That's how I leave. That's how I exit. But <laughs> on the weekend I went and did some rollerblading slash roller skating for the first time at the uh, Caribbean Gardens Rollerama. And uh, I haven't done it since I was about 10 years old. Mm. And I was very uncertain about whether it would come back to me. Because I don't know if I have the best memories of roller skating with my friends. Like, everyone thought we'd broke in our coccyxes at some point, you know. <laughs> I'll let you have a little image there. Um, yeah, so, like the first, even the first half hour was spent going, no, I can't, I can't do this. But then by the end, it was like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't stack it once. So maybe oh, there I, you go. I've already had an offer from a friend to sell me some skates. So maybe this is me turning a new leaf. I feel like I missed the boat. Like everyone was doing this kind of stuff during lockdown. They it's were going true. to the museum and skating around and things like that. But, you know, I that wasn't a priority then and now I've rediscovered it. And I reckon it's a skill that, yeah, people can pick up like riding a bike. But, but hang on, hang on, hang on. Were you good as a child? I mean, I think I was very unafraid as a child, mm. you know, and that's what I liked seeing from all these kids who were probably like four years old and they're on the skates and they're just tumbling around, falling over each other. And you have less, you know, height to fall from. That's probably why you feel mm. more confident. But mm. yeah, give me some of that back. Like- I know. <laughs> that life hasn't hurt them in the same yeah. way as it hurts us. <laughs> but I, I think roller skating is one of those things where you get you see other people do it and be really good at it. And you think, how hard can it be, right? Mm, yeah. And then you get on it and you realise, 
I'm really bad at this. Mm. And I was bad as a teenager. So why would oh. I suddenly be good now? Well, you've got, yeah, you've got more maturity. Your brain's a bit more developed, I think. Mm. You know, you, there's more skills transfer. Mm. <laughs> no, no. I was very, very, I was that person who wanted to do the speed skating. Yeah. And ah, just got, yes. got asked to leave oh, the yeah. rink. <laughs> You're not fast enough for this speed skating. Yet. Oh. And you know the ones who went backwards? Oh, yeah. There was all sorts. There was like, they have a proper club that runs and they must train and everything. Mm. But yeah, the, the guys who look like they should be in a motorcycle gang, they were the ones yes. who were doing the cool tricks. Yes. <laughs> All I wanted was to be able to go backwards and to do the couple skating. Oh, the couple yeah. skating. Yes. Never had a had a boyfriend to do oh, the couple no. skating. So, yeah, I was, just, I was the loser on the side of the rink going, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. Did none of it. Oh, you're a professional spectator then. It's true. Mm. Yeah. Is there anything you reckon you could pick up now from your childhood and you might be able to do it despite it being decades? Um. Well. Like I've established, I don't really enjoy anything. I don't enjoy anything. So. <laughs> what I'm very good at is sitting, looking out a window yeah. in the sunshine. Yes, and that's very always been with that. you since yeah. you... No yeah. one gets hurt that way. No, no one breaks their coccyx looking out a window. <laughs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, well, let's get to our first guest, who also is a stand-up comic and so faces her fears every day, I'm sure, and she does puts herself out there, as all creatives do, but she's also an amazing writer and um, TV presenter. I absolutely love her work, and she is a part of a gorgeous analogy called Admissions, Voices Within Mental Health, which the editors say their intention is radical empathy, inclusivity, and generosity. What beautiful words. Hi there, Jennifer Wong. Hello. Good morning, Joe. Hello, Annie. Hi. Jennifer was the first ever comedian I interviewed ever, ever as a student Aww. journalist. So we've come full circle today. <laughs> yes. Quite a moment. Who would have thunk all those years ago, Annie, that this is what would eventually Yes, eventuate. Yes, this was. This is the moment. Here, here we are. You've made we've it, We've been done. practicing, yes, for the last 10 years. Jen, your piece is called Swimming with Dolphins. Can you tell us about it without, I suppose, spoiler alert, but it's beautiful and honest and funny and very heartwarming. I loved it. But share, can you share what, what it's about? It's about um, the idea that I found one day in a Beyond Blue brochure about things that do and do not work for the treatment of depression. So it goes through and kind of debunks a lot of things, you know, does um, lavender work for depression? Does acupuncture work for depression? And then as I continue to read 
it came up with the idea that perhaps swimming with dolphins could alleviate depression. And as you might have guessed, when I was picking up this brochure, I was experiencing um, quite a lot of depression, which is why I was looking for help. And it occurred to me that it would be a very cruel joke if one of the only things that worked to alleviate depression was the idea of swimming with dolphins mm -hmm. because I'm very much a land dweller like yourselves <laughs> and I do not live near the ocean. Uh, I do not live near dolphins. I have. It would be very difficult for me and for many other people on earth to access dolphins <laughs> as a form of treatment. And so I guess I got a little bit carried away with this idea and in fact was going to do it for um, the Melbourne Comedy Festival in 2018. I, I started to write this show about swimming with mm -hmm. dolphins, learning to swim with dolphins by correspondence as a way to kind of, you know, let us all, you know, in on mm -hmm. this great activity. Um, but um, the irony is, is that um, my depression got really bad and I had to cancel my shows and I ended up going to hospital for depression. So the idea of having this piece in the anthology um, is quite meaningful to me because um, it means that um, I got to the other side of it eventually mm. um, in terms of recovery and in terms of being able to do something creatively with the idea that I had before I went to hospital. So it sits alongside the writing of 115 other Australian um, people, including Grace Tame, um, Fiona Wright, whose piece about face blindness I adore. Um, there's poems in there by Omar Saka, Omar Musa, Ellen Van Meerven. So it's chock full of things to read that um, might make you go, oh, that's, um, that's amazing that other people have felt what I feel and um, continue to feel what I feel. So, um, yeah, I hope the book finds the right, the right readers. Yeah, especially, yeah, someone who's another Chinese woman experiencing anxiety and depression. Like, I feel like it's not talked about enough in our communities and that stigma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's still very much with us like my parents don't wouldn't understand it other than you know mental health equals being mental like if we talk about it so it's such yeah. a just like trying to reframe all of this and how do you talk to yeah. like your parents about what you're going through um well in the beginning it started off with um using a word in cantonese which simply means um i do not feel comfortable so i would be saying i don't feel comfortable which can also mean um, i don't feel well but it's a very kind of large, um, like, descriptor, I guess, in, in as opposed to when we say depression in English, we kind of know exactly what we mean. And that's because in Chinese, I didn't have the word for it. In fact, I looked up the word for depression in Chinese and then purposely forgot what it was because I like to think that the Chinese part of me is actually not depressed. It's the English-speaking <laughs> English part of me that's depressed. Um, so, you know, I think um, I've spoken to um, doctors before and they've said that a lot of Chinese people, when they present with symptoms of depression, the way that they communicate them to their doctor is kind of more the physical symptoms of, for example, um, a headache, a sense of heaviness, um, perhaps an upset stomach, um, a, a lot of fatigue, you know, those kinds of physical symptoms, as opposed to the idea that when we go and do those tests when we're at the doctor for, you know, diagnosing depression. It asks questions like, do you feel unbearably sad? You know, do you feel like there's no hope? You know, those kinds of more emotional, um, emotion-related questions. So sometimes I wonder if it's because of a language thing that, you know, those aren't the things that come up immediately for someone 
who has depression, you know, perhaps if they're speaking a language other than English. But um, yeah, the way I talk to my parents about it is has been quite gradual. And the thing that helped me the most was that eventually I randomly got paired with a Chinese psychiatrist in hospital and she got them to come in and she explained to them in a combination of Chinese and English what was happening to me. So I can't explain how much it makes it easier when you're not the one kind of trying to reason and advocate for your own um, illness. You know, it's kind of like at that point in time, I wasn't probably the most articulate anyway. And so to have this psychiatrist explain it to my parents in language that they could understand um, was really, really helpful. And I think, um, you know, it's just about talking to them, I guess, about what it actually, how it manifests for me, you know, it's different for everyone. And I guess it is easy if you talk to your, your family about what it actually looks like for you, because then if you have early warning signs that you're about to relapse, they can kind of go, oh, you know, I noticed that you've been sleeping a lot lately. I noticed that you've been not eating as much. You know, I wonder if there's something that we can do to help you get back on track, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, so, yeah it is save that article that you wrote um before you brought yes. it up um, yeah. it's been on my phone for like a month and you found some really helpful um parts of it too well, yeah you did write this beautiful piece for abc.net.au 10 things i'm slowly learning while recovering from depression and absolutely it is an incredible resource jen because you break it down into some really critical um uh, things to understand for i think people who are have lived experience of mental ill health but also the people that love them um but you speak to you know that having someone really being an advocate for you because you're right when you're in it you can't necessarily speak on your behalf and I think that's what's so important about this anthology you know the editors say that we are talking more about mental health more than ever before um but it's usually the medical side of things it's not people with lived experience which is the purpose of this anthology right to get the voices out there um and so what do you feel like needs to be said what do you feel we need to hear more of from people with lived experience sometimes i think that you know even for all for all the anthologies that exist you know say that there were 10 of these you know would our lives be better would the world be better and i'd say definitely yes because you know you could be you'd be able to dip into read about more and more experiences from different people like for example annie you were saying you know how do you talk to your parents about it well like one of the editors, Radia Chowdhury, who's from a Bangladeshi background, she she also says that in in her language, there's no word for for depression. But I think um, you know, and then all the ways that she tries to describe depression to her parents. But I think at the base of it, it's really funding is the mm. thing that's probably going to help the most number of people, right? Like there are so many kind-hearted people out there, you know, in our day-to-day that we encounter that could lift our spirits, you know, on a bleak day. But at the heart of it, it's just like, you know, does everyone have access to housing, to food, you know, to a sense of connection through work? You know, is are everyone's basic needs covered in order so that they can actually be in a situation where their mental health doesn't take a dive because... They're not worried about how much money is coming in each week. You know, they're disconnected from mm. their family and friends for whatever reasons, that kind of thing. So it's it's really a holistic thing. You know, one of the things that I learned when I was in hospital was the idea that depression, the way to look at it, one way to look at it is from a biopsychosocial model, which is that biologically there's something going on, psychologically there's something going on, but socially as well. What's going on in your life socially? You know, are you in a position where you're 
you're not connected to family or friends or colleagues you know are you in a situation where you know like i said before you don't have access to those basic social things of um you know does it take you ages to get to where you need to get to and you don't have um medical professionals that are in your region you know regularly that kind of thing so um yeah like breaking it down like that kind of helps me now think about you know what are the things that are missing in my day-to-day that i need to work on in order to make it so that biologically psychologically and socially i'm taking care of myself i, I love that you say that Jen, because I I don't think that that is called out enough, that people are suffering from mental ill health because life is hard for them. And we, mm. we sort of often hear a very um, middle class, white collar, very sort of privileged response to mental ill health. And yes, it doesn't discriminate. And yes, everybody at every level of society experiences that. But the reality is, if you have uncertainty about where you live and how you're going to pay the bills, it's going to be a lot harder, right? Exactly. And I was in a very lucky situation where I was able to go to hospital quite quickly, you know, because I was seeing a psychiatrist who was able to um, get me into the hospital on a waiting list. Um, And because she advocated for me, I was able to get the help that I needed. But there are lots of long waiting lists even to get a psychiatrist. So I was just lucky that I was already seeing one. You know, they're also Mm. prohibitively expensive, Mm. you know, education is expensive. So I think there are lots of things that we overlook, you know, by the time someone gets their act together in order to write an article about 10 things that they're slowly learning about recovering from depression. I think there are a lot of assumptions about, you know, lots of things have to have taken place for me to have written that article. I was able to access the health system relatively easily. You know, um, I have parents that I can rely on. I have a stable living condition. I never have to worry about, you know, how and where I'm getting food or shelter that night. So those are the kinds of things that I think about a lot in that, you know, which voices are we capturing um, when we actually, by the time we get to read and see these voices, you know, um, which are the voices that we are also missing, mm-hmm. you know, within these anthologies. I think the editors have done a brilliant job when you've got 115 people from out, around Australia, you know, ranging from, Christina knew on one hand to a first time poet on another hand, like you've clearly reached out to a whole wide range of people. So that's the beauty of this anthology. But um, yeah, I do often wonder, you know, what are, where, where, which are the voices that we aren't hearing and who are the most vulnerable and what do they need? Mm. I really loved in your, um, in your piece that we referred to, 10 Things I'm Slowly Learning While Recovering from Depression, you cannot will yourself well. I love that. Just that compassion. Mm. I think sometimes we think that anything physical about our bodies is a failure of our desire to want it. You know, you know, do we not want it enough? Do we not want to be well enough? Are we asking for this um, condition for whatever reason? And when I was told that, I was like, you know, I did feel a sense of lightness. You know, it's not something that I can sit there for, you know, 10 minutes and kind of go, right, this is the bit we're going to will ourselves to be well and today will go well. Um, it's kind of not like that. You know, I guess the flip side of that is the things that you can do, which are very um, physical and pragmatic. You know, instead of willing yourself well, there's um, this idea of BACE, B-A-C-E, which is like body care, achievement, connection and enjoyment. So can I take care of any of those four things? Those four things, if I take care of them in one day, are more likely to get me to a state of wellness. I saw that also Felicity Ward is 
a contributor to the anthology and mm. she is great at posting everyday stories on Instagram about how her mental health is going. And she was a person who made me realise like when you're in it, a bad, um, yeah, having not a great time or you're having some kind of, yeah, episode, you don't know that you're in it sometimes. So it's hard to even recognise. So if you focus more on achieving the wellness stuff rather than going, oh, I'm I'm actually depressed right now. Because when I'm in it, I don't know that I'm mm. in it. It just feels like you can't really remember when yeah. you were feeling good. Yeah. People like Felicity, I think, do a great job in real life and in her writing to give us language, I think, to be able to describe things that we're feeling. You know, sometimes I think that, you know, we don't go, we don't grow up learning. Well, I certainly didn't grow up learning about words to describe my emotions or my physical feelings. And when you see, you know, a range of people write about their feelings and their emotions, you kind of go, oh, you know, actually I can be very specific right now about what it is that I'm feeling and um, what I can do about that. So um, Felicity's piece is really it's 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 a beautiful beautiful piece of work with like all of Felicity's work it's funny it's thoughtful it's reflective um gives you something to think about when you um when you finish it and um yeah it's it's really lovely to be alongside Felicity oh I can't wait to read it well the anthology is called admissions voices within mental health I highly recommend you get yourself a copy and dive on into these incredible writers I can't let you go Jen without acknowledging that recently on your Instagram you (sighs) shared a photo of my childhood you didn't realize this but it was this picture of the Parmesan cheese, the Kraft oh. Parmesan cheese in a can or a jar. We used to have it in a can, but it sat in the cupboard. How is cheese okay to sit in a cupboard? <laughs> I've not seen this before at all. So both of you need to introduce me to this concept, which apparently is disgusting. Oh, uh, no, but it's disgusting but delicious. Weird. Smelt like vomit. Yeah. Someone said to me, does it still smell like vomit? And I mm. said, yes, but it tastes mm-hmm. of childhood, so mm. it's okay. It's <laughs> mm. <laughs> true. Is it a part of your childhood too for me? You, yeah. I saw that and I was yeah. smash bang into my 80s kitchen with the blue bench and, the, you know, it no. was just like unbelievable. Yeah, it went on top of the spaghetti. Mm. It went on top of everything, like literally <laughs> everything. Where's the vomit yep. cheese, we'd say? <laughs> And isn't that a great day for craft branding that they can, yeah. you know, <laughs> their broadcast to be known? Like, where is the vomit? <laughs> That's the title of this episode. <laughs> You know it will be now. Um, but at the same time, we were addicted to the blue, the cheese in the blue packet that equally sat in the fridge, in the in the cupboard. Like I don't know what dark arts craft had that cheese never needed to live in a fridge. Yeah, I believe there are a couple of preservatives right now that are like, oh, you're talking about me. (laughs) (laughs) And the more preservatives, the more delicious it was. Yes. Oh, I love it. Jen, thank you so much. It's been a joy as ever to have you on the show and congratulations on this. I love, I I think it's really courageous the way you write about it. I don't know if that feels good to be told that, but um, I think it's really important. Yeah. Thank you, Annie. Toodaloo.